Welcome to this week's episode of Surveillance Report, your central source for all privacy and security news. This episode is featuring ProtonMail, an all-in-one suite regarded as one of the most secure and private email providers, with their calendar service coming soon, which is already in beta. If you end up enjoying their service and want to go for one of their paid accounts, make sure to use our affiliate link, which will help us at no additional cost to you. Thank you to everyone who supports what we do here. So let's go ahead and cover security and privacy news from the last week. First up, we're going to start with Google. So our first story comes from, well, Google, um, who has told the world how important they are because they claim they've blocked 126 million COVID-19 email phishing scams in the last week. This comes during a time where scams, especially phishing scams, are at a high as people attempt to take advantage of fear and panic during this pandemic. And phishing scams are some of the most effective as they rely on user error. So naturally, this is going to be a very effective time to start phishing scams. So let that be a big reminder. Phishing is always kind of a mainstream thing that we see a lot, but it's going to be a lot more rampant during harsh times or when big news events occur because news is a train and the more people that hop on it, the more money can be made. So keep that in mind, especially with uh, malware, phishing attacks, um, just anything related to COVID-19. It's a very, very risky area to dive into as of right now. So just stick with approved websites and you should be good. Google has also removed 49 extensions, and these were stealing cryptocurrency wallet keys. Many of them were disguised themselves as real cryptocurrency wallet apps like Ledger, MyEtherWallet, Trezor, and Electrum. But in reality, they were stealing private keys. Supposedly, all 49 came from the same person or group, and it seems to be aimed at higher targets, so it wasn't something sent out to the masses that affected millions of users. It seems to have been utilized mostly to target high-value accounts. A pretty safe way to live, only get extensions, download links, or anything of that matter from the original creator. Download.com, avoid it, don't get third-party modifications, just try to get things from the original website for the best practice to avoid things like this happening. The last Google news relates to Chrome, where Google has given a critical warning to its users to update because of a supposedly serious exploit. Google gave a very vague description. Quote, use after free in speech recognizer. That is all. This has been marked as reserved by the US government's NVD, or National Vulnerability Database. Google, as almost always, has been very proactive with their cybersecurity this week, so that is always a positive to Google, despite their privacy invasions. Microsoft is their next company, and they open very similarly to Google, which is phishing scams. Except Microsoft's is, well, they're the ones being directly affected, or more so their users. There is an ongoing phishing campaign designed to collect and steal user credentials, and cool enough, it even bypasses two-factor authentication, as it'll uh, exfiltrate the 2FA code in real time from the phishing site. Very well done and executed attack, so if you're a GitHub user, triple check the URL when you log in. Uh, a good tip, uh, something that I do is when I'm logging into a personal account, I, I don't tend to bookmark personal accounts in my browser. Um, I also don't have my password saved in my browser, so I have to open up my password manager anyway to log in. So what I do is I always attach the URL inside my password manager, and then I open the URL from the password manager. So that way it's always the same exact URL, which should avoid almost all phishing attacks. Uh, that's a great way to log into services. Just a good tip. The other Microsoft piece is just more so cool. Supposedly, Microsoft has developed a system that can distinguish security from non-security related bugs 99% of the time, and it identifies which of those are critical bugs, high priority issues, 97% of the time. 
They're planning on open sourcing this methodology on GitHub in the coming months, and that is always something welcome in my book. So it is good to recognize when companies do positive things like this. Microsoft lately actually has been planning to make a lot of things open source, so I don't know if they're genuinely trying to move in that direction because you start seeing things like the inclusion of aspects of the Linux kernel inside of Windows. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're all of a sudden not a privacy intrusive or a uh, lockdown license only company, but it's just seems to be something that they're moving in a general direction towards. So I guess we'll see how that plays out. Hopefully we can see companies really start moving to open source software so we can verify everything that they say. Uh, the day Apple does that is the day pigs fly, though, so that one I'm pretty confident about. Our next news category this week was cars, and it's not about Tesla, although Tesla has its own share of problems. We'll talk about them soon. First, Ford and Volkswagen cars suffer from security flaws that put the owner's personal data and safety at risk. The list for the flaws is pretty lengthy. Supposedly, the infotainment unit could be hacked to be a command that disabled the traction control system. From there, personal data, including phone contacts and location history, could be collected. By lifting the Volkswagen badge on the front of the car, the radar module can be accessed, which allows someone to tamper with the car's collision detection safety system. With Ford, the tire pressure monitoring system could be intercepted with a laptop and a $30 gadget from Amazon, which could allow them to change the value of the air pressure that the driver would see, posing a security risk. Or safety risk, my bad. And by hacking into the Ford Focus's controller area network, they were able to find Wi-Fi details and a password for the computer system of Ford's Detroit factory. They can also access detailed information about the user's driving habits and location history. Ford and Volkswagen both gave very mediocre responses to these concerns, which I recommend you read in the sources because it's not just something I could quote for you. There's several different things they said, but yeah, it's very pathetic. So you should go and read them. Pretty much since there's such mediocre responses, it, it's kind of like the generic Google. We track what you do and we collect it and it's hard to opt out of it, but we do it in your best interest of privacy. It, it, it's that whole story, right? So Ford and Volkswagen, we always care about user privacy, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, they're not acting in those fashions. We don't see much improvement on their end and they didn't admit to many of the issues that they didn't fix and they still refuse to really address or fix. So I, I'd like to, I'd like you to make up your own mind about this because, well, it's however you want to interpret their public statements, but I definitely recommend you read their public statements in that article. So you could actually get a grasp of how seriously they want to take this and what they plan to do about it, which from what I got was pretty much nothing. In a separate investigation, it's been shown that safety system sensors in some modern cars are collecting data about the road and submitting this to third-party companies. This investigation tackled mobilized sensors specifically, which has mapped more than 180 million miles of roads worldwide. As soon as this year, Mobileye plans to use the sensors built into BMW cars to collect data about their immediate surroundings. Similar sensors are built into Ford, Nissan, and Volkswagen, which Mobileye says it'll harvest data from in the US by 2021, which is coming up fast. Note, Mobileye isn't the only company doing this, so it's a pretty common thing happening nowadays, apparently. Why should we be surprised? A company called Camera is doing this with Toyota. And like I said about Tesla, we all know Tesla does this to some extent, but as far as we know, it seems to be mostly for their AI and object detection, which they use for their self-driving, whereas it's not just pure raw data collection. Well, it is, but I guess it's with purpose. Take that as you will. 
This investigation, you should read it because it's huge and it offers a ton of insight. Uh, seriously, it's very well done. The article covers the whole story behind this and it covers uh, so much more context behind things. So I really recommend reading that story. It's a good one. It's interesting reading about these things too, because it's clear that almost everything nowadays is being monetized in some way, shape, or form through data and data collection. So now it's funny because Tesla, for example, they're gathering all this data and it mostly seems to be used towards their full self-driving. Um, whether or not that's going to be a reality, it's what they're working towards. And it's very interesting to see them have that purpose for it. Whereas Mobileye seems to just be collecting this data so that they can sell it and use it for something. And Mobileye is also using the manufacturers to get that data. And the manufacturers should be blamed for this as well. They're kind of allowing this to happen. So that's a bummer on their end, but it seems like cars are the next way to make a lot of money through data. So unfortunate. That my friends wraps up the main company news, but we still have some other just casual articles. So let's go ahead and skip through those real quick. Rig up a labor marketplace for employing workers in its oil, gas, and solar business had a data leak which included 70,000 private files of employees and candidates, which included personal photos, their paperwork, and more. Clearview AI, that company harvesting every image uploaded to social media like ever, has made headlines again as its source code and app data were exposed in a security lapse. This included secret keys, cloud storage credentials, and copies of its apps. This doesn't seem to have been, honestly, a very big deal, but it just adds to the pile of things they've screwed up on. I mean, why would you trust a company who can't even properly configure their cloud servers to handle pretty much every American's user data that's ever been uploaded to the internet? Dell has released a new tool that can detect BIOS attacks. It is offered free to its enterprise customers and overall a pretty new concept that is not seen very often. This one grinds my gears. Twitter has been going through a lengthy legal battle to be able to reveal US government surveillance requests in a transparency report. This is good. Twitter actually wants to be proactive and reveal to the world how the US is collecting and using user data on its own platform. Well, a US judge has blocked this bid, making Twitter unable to reveal these requests because it's, quote, likely to harm national security. Now, this is what we hear. It's the main go-to argument. If you care about national security and you care about your children and you care about the well-being of American citizens, you need to be for surveillance and you need to pretty much hand over your rights and information. This is not true. We see this repeatedly. We see studies about this. We see news articles about this. We see data that shows us that mass data collection and surveillance is not that effective. If anything, it's ineffective. I highly recommend just going to YouTube and just looking up Snowden. Um, he is very good at articulating the dangers of surveillance and how ineffective it is. Just paraphrasing one of his descriptions of mass surveillance, it's pretty much trying to find a needle in a haystack, right? So you can collect all of this data and information, but it's actually important to know how to utilize it. If anything, it makes the search harder if they're just mass collecting every person's information and they have to sift through all of it to figure out what's actually a danger and what poses a threat. Now, surveillance is a tricky topic. It's not simply a black or white answer. I don't think it is. I don't think that banning all surveillance is necessarily the answer. But I think it's important for us to really just dig into it and figure out what's actually effective. I'd highly, highly, highly recommend listening to Edward Snowden talk about this. If you want kind of a more brief, uh, to the point video, go incognito 1.2, I believe. 
actually covers why does privacy matter. So if you want to watch Go Incognito, which is our free course, which covers all that, that I think is a very good overview of surveillance and the issues behind mass surveillance. And finally, Linksys is proactively locking people out of their Wi-Fi cloud accounts and forcing password resets after attacks that were performed on their routers. I think this is a great proactive move to make on their end. The unfortunate thing I think about is I think about the people I know, um, maybe not my close friends because they know how security oriented I am and I think that that kind of rubs off on them a little bit and they start thinking about it more, which by the way is great advocacy. So always share with your friends and family about your privacy and security. It's interesting. It's really interesting stuff. People like hearing about it. So definitely share that. But um, back to what I was saying, it kind of saddened me to know that the average American household probably was pissed off when they saw this, right? They're probably trying to log into their cloud account and it told them they had to reset their password and they're like, what the hell? I've been using my password, the same exact password for the last three years and it's never, it's never done me wrong and now that's asking me to change my password to something I can't remember. Um, and I think that that's a big problem. Obviously, I'm just... Is, this is all a hypothetical situation, but I'm assuming that most American households would be pretty pissed off to see this. So something needs to change in terms of how we talk about security and privacy. I don't have an answer, but it's just something to think about. That was all the companies, and now time for research. This is a simple article. It was just a basic survey of 1,500 Americans that found 79% of Americans share their passwords with people outside their home, normally for video streaming. 39% use the same password for every service, and only 20% of Americans are worried about identity theft or hacking. I do want to add my thought here because this article seems to imply, oh my gosh, only 20% of Americans are worried about identity theft or hacking, which I think is a low number, but the article tries to compare this to the higher values of a home break-in. So they're saying people don't care about identity theft, but they care more about a home break-in, which I think is a pretty bad comparison to make. Um, I think they're both issues, but at different severities, right? Um, an identity theft normally is recoverable in some way, shape, or form. Uh, normally it takes time, it's inconvenient, but normally you can get back what you lost. Uh, for the most part, obviously there's exceptions to that, but the generic identity theft scenario that we talk about, which affects the typical American, it's normally very recoverable. Whereas a home break-in, right, like that, that can cause emotional trauma, that can cause physical trauma, that can lead to stolen, sentimental objects. Not to take away from the importance of identity theft, it's just I think that's kind of a weird line to draw, and I think that the statistics prove enough how much of an issue this is. So if you read that article, just I'd, I'd keep that in mind because it kind of discredits the article a little bit, but the statistics are still there to back it up, so just look at the stats. There has been something dubbed to be an unkillable Android backdoor, which essentially was persistent to the point where a device factory reset didn't remove it. This had researchers stumped for months, and they now know how it's done. It is the result of rogue folders containing a Trojan installer, neither of which was removed by a device reset. The Trojan would reinstall the backdoor in the event of a reset. There's an entire write-up, study, and analysis of how this was done, and I'd highly recommend you read it, especially if you want the more technical explanation of how this all works, because it's very cool stuff. Pastebin, a service which is used for pasting text around the internet, commonly also used by hackers to post lists of stolen passwords, announcements of data breaches, and malware, has silently made it harder for security researchers to scrape their site for information on new posts. People are unable to search Pastebin or even scrape it using a special API that people paid for. 
This has been discontinued supposedly because of abuse, which is unfortunate, but there's also a major question of if this is actually a good move to make in the long run. What's guaranteed though is researchers are not happy. Researchers from Google Brain, Intel, OpenAI, and other top research labs in the US and Europe joined together to release a kit for organizations that will pay developers for finding bias in AI, similar to how bug bounties are offered in software. A cool thing about all the AI stuff that's happening, because AI is now, I think, starting to really become a mainstream topic, I think that everyone is almost so scared of AI and the possibilities of it being dangerous that even people who you wouldn't normally think would take it seriously are taking it seriously, right? Like you wouldn't normally think that Google, Microsoft, Intel, all these major corporations that aren't normally very privacy oriented and seem to really want the best for user freedom um, and just the general public, they seem to be very, very in invested in making sure that these AI systems that they're developing are properly done. And I think that that's because, and this is very impactful, I think it's kind of a common ground amongst everybody that AI can be dangerous and it seems like it's something that we really need to be careful with. Up next, 725 Ruby libraries uploaded to the official RubyGems repo contained malware meant to hijack users' clipboards. These have all been removed, but the way they worked is they replaced the Bitcoin addresses copied to the clipboard with one controlled by the attacker to theoretically get someone to mistakenly send them money instead of themselves or whoever they're trying to send money to. It doesn't seem this was very successful because I think they tried to look into the wallet and they didn't see any payments made to it, but this is a wonderful example of creativity, and for that, I give them an A for effort. Our last research piece is not really directly related to privacy, but I think it's a good shock piece that should make people think a bit. A clinical team used MIT's AI to remotely monitor a COVID-19 patient. That's it, seems harmless, right? Well, no. It enabled the researchers to remotely monitor a patient's breathing, movement, sleep patterns, and more using only wireless signals. This has been deployed in over 200 hospitals, homes, and assistive care facilities. This article doesn't even talk about or mention the privacy implications of this. The fact that someone's breathing, they're breathing, can be tracked remotely using wireless signals is just a great indicator that almost anything nowadays can be made into personally identifiable information and and being fed to feed who you are as a person. Um, it's almost it's almost fascinating how many different ways we can identify ourselves through data and different means of investigating who we are as people. It, it, it's it's wild, but also the privacy side of it is just a nightmare. So, yeah. It's time to get political. Almost all the news except one article this week are about coronavirus. So let's just cover all the coronavirus news. Tech companies are processing large volumes of confidential UK patient data in a data mining operation, part of the government's response to the coronavirus outbreak. We've already seen less uh, extreme methods of this happening with companies on an individual basis, like Facebook, Google, or Apple, who shared all of their location tracking for coronavirus. But this seems to be on a much larger scale and is another example of invasive tracking being done for the cause of beating corona. The way I see it, Corona's like the 9-11 of 2001, right? You have Corona pushing all the surveillance without much thought and because of fear and because people really don't know what to do and they think that anything can help. And this is being abused by governments and companies to start harvesting more user data. If you're okay with the UK collecting this information, well, the UK is also developing, surprise, a tracing app to track people during the coronavirus pandemic. 
that's really it. It's just another app. Let's move on. Surprise number two, Australia wants to, you guessed it, do contact tracing through a mobile app. This is the same app Singapore is using, which I believe is either open source or going to be open source. So at least it has that going for it. In other parts of the world, you have Switzerland, who has pulled out of the European contact tracing app project. For context, this seems to have been the best bet for a tracing app because the EU one was created for no other reason than to offer privacy benefits and to also be GDPR compliant. But it's concerning that Switzerland, a country known to value privacy, backed out of even this initiative, which should give us some insight into how bad the other apps might be. Switzerland is now doing their own contact tracing app that better guarantees user privacy, at least according to them. So maybe this is our new best bet. Get dethroned, EU. Our final corona piece. Back to the UK, researchers have estimated that 80% of current smartphone owners would need to use the app for it to be effective. In other words, I'm going to translate this for you, they're pretty much useless. Why? Well, most of them rely on Bluetooth low energy systems, which not every phone supports, some people don't have smartphones, and these are all opt-in programs, so it relies on almost the entire population of people who own compatible devices to opt-in. The only scenario this seems to make sense is if everyone is forced to use the app, and those who can't use the app are given a device. Russia has been doing this, we covered that in last week's episode, but that seems to have the issue of obviously taking away user rights and freedoms, so there's no real clear-cut answer to this. My opinion, we just stop with the apps. They don't seem to be effective. Our final political news, which is not about Corona, is also from the UK. They got hit pretty hard this week. It's been revealed in secret details from staff online that the Ministry of Defense is forced to deal with 70 security leaks a week. It's uh, pretty embarrassing and seems to possibly put troops at risk in a lot of cases. Not much more to say here, except, well, that sucks. And it sounds like something that needs to be fixed or changed for the better. And now onto our final category, the misfits. The Tor Project, this is, this is a sad misfit story. They have laid off a third of their staff, so 13 out of the 35 people. It's much smaller than I expected. This is all due to coronavirus and is a very unfortunate thing to happen. I encourage people watching to donate to the Tor Project because what they do there is great. You can get really cool merchandise and stickers if you donate, which I am proud to say, I have some of those. Moving on, when I made that recent Zoom video, give that a watch if you haven't already, it dives into everything you need to know about Zoom, right? Or I thought. I didn't expect it to become outdated within a week, but it has been outdated within a week. As hackers are selling two critical Zoom zero-day exploits for $500,000. One is for Windows and the other for Mac OS. These don't seem to be super serious as they require people to be in a call they initiated to function, but it just adds more damage to the already ruined reputation that Zoom has any decent security. And our final article, which is also about Zoom, specifically the US House Oversight Committee was victim to Zoom bombing. It's unknown what the bombers did, but what is known is the House ignored all warnings that this will likely happen, including warning from the FBI, the media, even the Senate stopped using Zoom, and of course, Techlore. Oh my gosh, did they not even watch my channel? And that crappy joke is probably a good sign that this episode needs to end. I want to thank those of you who've watched this far. Seriously, you're amazing. This is such a long video. These videos are long. We have a lot of news to cover, and all of you watching this far, it means that you care, and 
more so than just supporting us, it's nice to see people actually care about this stuff enough to watch this far. So good on you. Spread the word. I also want to thank all of our patrons. I can't tell you how much your monthly contribution helps. Uh, it's been great, especially with AdSense like completely hitting our channel uh, with coronavirus. Uh, we lost like 50% of revenue from AdSense during these months that coronavirus has been a thing. So that monthly contribution and also everyone who donates to Bad and Brave Rewards it's just an immense help. So thanks to everybody who's been supportive of us because seeing the donations not only shows me and helps me directly, but it shows me that people care and want to see more content. So thank you so much. That is all I have to say. Uh, yeah, thank you for watching everybody. Have a nice day. Enjoy your days at home and yeah, do what you can. Have fun. Start something new. Be creative. Yeah, get out there. Or don't, don't get out there.